It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com and the mobile app. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes as we will get to your phone calls at 201-939-4513. You could also interact with us on Twitter using hashtag GiantsChat. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. A reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we'll recap the preseason finale against the Patriots last night. We'll look ahead to the 53-man roster, which they're going to have to finalize by 4 p.m. Eastern tomorrow a lot to tackle a lot to unravel but Paul congratulations we have all survived the preseason and the next time we're actually going to be talking about a game it will actually be a meaningful football game you know Lance the bad part about this is that we've got to wait two weeks that is the bad part yes but a small <laughs> can price we survive pay, the two-week layoff Something tells me we'll have plenty to talk about within the span of those two weeks. I don't well, know. Well, I, I know this much. Uh, with the cutdown coming at 4 o'clock on Tuesday, as you mentioned, there are going to be some moves. I mean, we, we've discussed this. Because it's no longer a one-week layoff, there is a two-week layoff to the beginning of the regular season. I think that every single team, or almost every team in the league, is going to make at least one or two moves at the bottom of the roster. Sure. Here's the other thing, though, to keep in mind. There could be moves made next Monday, and there could be moves made next Tuesday. Sure. Paul, you could bring in a guy about six or seven days before your first game and perhaps have them ready or at least anticipate they're going to contribute in week two or whatever it may be. See, the problem with this year is, and it may be problems not an appropriate word, but what makes it a little bit more convoluted, challenging, is normally there's a small period of time, Paul, between when the 53-man roster is announced versus the first game. For example, you know, usually we're talking about this. It's over Labor Day weekend. It's the Saturday of that weekend. And then that Monday is the start of the first week of the regular season leading into that Thursday night game. We're now still a week ahead. So teams could make a 53-man roster, see how guys pan out in practice. And they don't like what they see. Guy gets hurt or there was a setback with an injury, they place a guy on IR, now they have a roster spot open. So the point is, and I can't emphasize this enough, whatever the roster looks like when they announce it tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern, be prepared that there could be a lot of other formations of that roster by the time we get to Tuesday or Wednesday of next week. No, it's very true, Lance. Look, I've been talking about this for years, and now it seems over the last few years uh, most people are finally catching up to the idea that it is not the final 53. It will never be the final 53. It's the first 53. That's why I've now adopted a new term, the week one 53. And that is the 53 that you go into opening day with. That's the one that's more important to me. I don't give really a horse's butt about the initial 53. I really don't because there will be changes. And I've been saying this for a long time. And I think a lot of people used to laugh when I would, would try to differentiate the two. Nobody's laughing anymore because you see how many changes get made. Well, that's why maybe there shouldn't even be the term final 53 because when is your roster ever final anyway? I mean, think about it. Paul. You're right. Every that's week why you make I'm, changes I'm telling to your roster. You, week, the week one 53. That's what I'm calling the, the, the roster the Giants will use going into the Broncos game. That is the week one 53. That's it. There's no, there's no point in calling anything final anymore. That you, you, You're absolutely right. I used to just joke about it for that final preseason game, going into the cuts and then going into week one. And I used to say, you know, this is so fluid, folks. Stop, stop thinking that this is the 53 because it's not. I've been saying it for years. But you make a really good point. The roster's really never final. Even all the way through the final game of the season, it's still never final. And then there are guys signed to reserve future contracts. So, really, there is no such thing as a final 53. You're absolutely right. It does not exist. Yeah, and this year in particular, there's going to be so many different versions even before the season starts because there's that much more wiggle room. So that's why, once again, 
depending on how the waiver wire plays out, they could also put a guy on the practice squad and then call him up before even week one. You know, that could also come into play depending on the health and the makeup of the roster. Well, so there's we, just, two we can't floated. emphasize that enough yeah. moving forward here over these next two weeks. Now, well, we'll somebody get- said to me the other day, Lance, uh, just about a week or so ago, isn't it really the 55 because you get that two-week practice squad floater every weekend? So really, isn't it 55? It's really not 53 anyway. Well, in terms of you're saying the amount of people that you could call up but then remember, then you're dealing with also certain inactives, which means you're going from, you know, that 47 ballpark two, which exactly. is what you could operate on game day. You got that 10th lineman. You got that yeah. third quarterback. There's all kinds of different little idiosyncrasies in the roster. Anyway, I like what you just said. There is no such thing as the final 53, and I think we should all kind of profess to uh, adhere to your statement. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat. So we'll get a little bit more into projections for the fifty three man roster a little bit later on. Paul, before we get to that, let's recap what transpired last night at MetLife Stadium. Patriots beat the Giants twenty two to twenty, and this was our first opportunity to see at least the bulk of the starters together, specifically Daniel Jones. So they were out there for five series, and they played. The entire first half, the bulk of them, which is exactly what Joe Judge had indicated leading up to the game. And with respect to Daniel Jones, efficient numbers, 17 of 22 for 135 yards. But mixed results in terms of the decision-making. The good was that beautiful touchdown pass to Caden Smith. He put it in a perfect spot. Caden went up, made a play for his quarterback. But then the red zone opportunity, when you're knocking on the door, you have a third and goal and unfortunately made a bad decision as he admitted after the game, and it led to a turnover, which was pretty much the Achilles heel of this offense last season. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt that that was a bad decision. We spoke about it on the postgame right away before even listening to Jones's explanation. My initial reaction was just run the ball out of bounds or throw it into the front row. I mean, to me, there was no reason to try to thread the needle and to throw that pass into the end zone. So he knows it. The shame of it is, you know, he has had such little work. I mean, literally, the guy played a half the entire preseason. So because he made that one bad decision and that one bad throw, the people who want to bash him have their hammers and their gavels out, and they will just start swinging away. And that, that's the shame of it, because the fan overreaction to that one throw is going to be immense. Like anything else, it always gets put under the microscope. But here's the bottom line, and I'll say this time and time again. Do you want to see encouraging results in the preseason? Absolutely. It's more, though, about the individual development than it is about the team total production. The bottom line is Daniel Jones is going to be judged on what he does in the regular season. Those results will tell the true story in terms of how much progress he's made and his outlook moving forward, more so than anything that we could overanalyze in terms of the third preseason game against the New England Patriots. Well, you know what? I, I said this to a, uh, it was a really good season ticket holder who uh, is down there uh, right in the front row, and he sees me all the time when I'm down on the sidelines. And he said to me, so we're going to win tonight? And I looked at him and I said, do you understand that nothing that happens tonight, nothing that happens short of an injury, is going to matter one iota against the Denver Broncos in two weeks? And he looked at me and I said, no, no, seriously, Daniel Jones is the starting quarterback for the New York football Giants against the Broncos unless he gets hurt. Okay, he could go 0 for 20 with five interceptions in one half of play tonight, and it will not change that. So in all honesty, relax, sit back, enjoy the beautiful evening and don't worry about the stats at the end of the night. Because whatever happens here tonight is not going to change or impact what happens against the Broncos. Again, short of an injury. And, and I, I truly meant that. I mean, to me, last night was all about evaluating the guys who were going to make the back end of the depth chart. And there were a number of guys last night who I think had some jobs on the line. Uh, and that's it. Because it is what it is. In today's NFL, Lance, we've talked about this before. And I'm sorry, folks, but I'll keep pounding it. You're not going to truly know what your team is in the National Football League until you get through September. It's that simple. 
those first four games of the regular season, you are feeling your way as a prize fighter is through the first two or three rounds of a fight. And you will not know until you get to the end of September what your team is. The quality of football, the, the ragged quality of football that we see during the regular season in September is not to be taken as seriously as the football you will see from October you know, forward all the way to the end of the year. That's just the way it is. And we're certainly going to learn a lot about this Giants team because of the caliber of the defenses that they're going to face throughout the first quarter of the season, to your point. Now, that brings me to the offensive line because a big part of looking at what Daniel Jones could do this season is tied into the guys up front. And New England brought the pressure and had some success. Daniel Jones was sacked twice. Andrew Thomas spoke to the media after the game. He mentioned that he has work to do. He says that it's got to do a lot with the fundamentals in terms of his hand placement, in terms of his base when it comes to the depth of going up against the defensive lineman. Josh Uche obviously got some good penetration on one of the sacks, and you know we saw a few other guys with the second one, which was a joint sack. And those are things that you certainly want to see improve because, once again, it goes back to my point, Paul, and as we start to look ahead at the first quarter of the season, especially week one, let's not maybe look as far beyond that, Denver has a very good defense, and Denver has proven guys up front. And if they see what New England could do, it's a copycat league. I guarantee you they're going to say, well, we're going to test these guys as much as New England did in the first half of that preseason game. So that's an area, specifically at the tackle position, based on what we saw last night, that you definitely want to see some improvement on moving forward here. Thomas had some trouble with his sets and his hand placement, as he admitted after the game. I'm not seeing him get off a really good punch right now. And that, that's a bit of an issue. I do know that the last six games of last season, he played very well. He graded out highly. Now, that's a fact. No matter what you read, that's a fact. Andrew Thomas graded out well over the final month and a half of last season. That's just the way it is. Now, the question becomes, where is the improvement? And where is the upside? And where does the arrow point after that? You would like to think that it would continue to go upward. At the moment, we don't have that evidence because he, is, he has had some struggles so far during the course of the summer. I do not know exactly why. He knows what's missing with his technique. It should not be that hard to fix that and, and build off of what he did last December. I, to me, that's relatively elementary. So I'm, I'm a bit perplexed. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm also a bit perplexed that Matt Peart who certainly flashed last year in limited reps, does not look like he has taken a step forward right now, which is why I believe it's entirely possible, and I mentioned this last week, I mentioned it during the pregame show, and it's time people start digesting it. You might see Nate Solder start at right tackle, or at the very least, you might see him rotate with Parrott at right tackle until Parrott proves that he is ready to handle the job full-time. I would not be surprised at all. You go back to last season, Parrott and Cam Fleming rotated a little bit, not nearly as much as perhaps what you're proposing or what maybe we're thinking about. Even timeshare type of thing, I guess, is what I'm indicating. Last season was heavily more in favor of Cam Fleming, but it is possible that Nate Solder, because of his veteran presence and much more experience, does get some early looks. Now, Matt Parrott, remember, even though he flashed, he's still very raw. He played only 15%. So if you were to ask me, Andrew Thomas compared to Matt Parrott, well, Paul, Thomas played over 95% of the offensive snaps last season. Parrott, as I mentioned, played 15. That's a huge disparity in terms of those two guys. So if Matt Parrott has not made as big of a jump, I don't think it's as stunning. Andrew Thomas, I mean, he was out there for the majority of the snaps last season. He was there to ride the roller coaster. Matt Parrott was just to maybe take a lap around the football field here or there. So there's a distinct difference between those two guys. You know what troubles me a little bit, Lance? What troubles me is we're looking at Thomas at a bubble, and we really can't. What was the common denominator during the final six games of last season when Andrew Thomas played well? He had well, Shane he had Lemieux Shane next Lemieux. to him. Exactly. Yeah. How many times has Shane Lemieux been with him in the last month? He's been banged up with the knee injury. There you go. Now, I'm not saying that not having Shane Lemieux 
causes Thomas to miss set or to miss his punch. I'm not saying that necessarily, but is it causing him to think too much? He's got Larson. He's got Wiggins. He's got Slade. He's got a bunch of guys. He's got basically journeymen practicing next to him at left guard for most of training camp. Shane Lemieux has had very limited reps at left guard, which he is supposed to be the starter, and yet Thomas has not had his regular guy next to him on his right shoulder very often during the course of camp. Could that be a factor in why he doesn't seem to be in sync? Could be. Anything's possible. I wouldn't eliminate it. I will tell you that. If we talk about chemistry on the offensive line, you have to take that into consideration. And we even talked about this a little bit in the offseason. It's about the comfort of how you feel next to whoever's lining up with you. Exactly. That's a big part of it from an execution standpoint. It's huge. Yeah. You have to have that instinctive feel for the guy who's on your shoulder to know he's going to do what he's going to do so that you can just worry about yourself and concentrate on what you need to do. If you have any doubts about the guy next to you when you're playing offensive line, that's going to cause you to think too much. And it's going to cause you at times to get sloppy or overplay something because you're not trusting the guy next to you. It's reality. Well, that goes that goes back to Paul, and this is something that Joe Judge talked about throughout the offseason and even some of the production meetings we've had. The frustrating part of this offseason has been there's been some injuries on that offensive line, and he wants these guys to play as much as possible because they're still relatively young as a group. Will Hernandez is the veteran of the group, and Will Hernandez is a 2018 draft pick. So it's not like he is a guy that's been in the league forever. So that just goes to show you there's still a lot of youth and inexperience, and the problem is let's just recap what they went through over the course of the offseason. You had Matt Pear dealing with a back injury, right, before the start of training camp. Okay, so he missed some time early. Then Shane Lemieux gets the knee injury. He missed some time. And you had some movable parts, guys that you had to move around as a result of that. But you really only had Nick Gates, Will Hernandez, and Andrew Thomas. The other two guys were not consistently in the lineup, which means other faces were there. But those are the guys that you're anticipating are going to be your main starters. So that has been a bit of a challenge for the Giants. They want to build the chemistry. The health, the injury bug has not necessarily cooperated. No, I think that's very fair. Now, the good news is Will Hernandez has made a jump from last year. It certainly looks like during training camp he has started to get his mojo back. He looks a lot better than he did last season, albeit with the COVID and limited snaps. But he does look like he is is on track. And Nick Gates looks like he knows what he's doing. Nick Nick Gates is on the way up. This is a guy now in his second season at guard. And I at have, center, I have yeah. a second year at guard. At center. At center. center yes, center, at center. Yeah. And I have full faith in Nick Gates. I'm not worried about him at all. Here's what I do wonder, though, Lance. And this is a question worth throwing out there. First of all, I don't know when Lemieux is going to be ready for the full load. Whether or not it will happen any time in the next two weeks. Because I really believe they need him in there as soon as possible. Not only because I think he's going to be a good player but because it will help the continuity. So I'd like to see him in there and get as many reps as he can before facing the Broncos. But I don't know the case there because he's, he's been nursing that gippy knee. But here's a question for you. Would you at all consider at some point, and we talk about this every once in a while, putting the best five out on the field? I think that Jonathan Harrison... What, what he has showed us, and again, he didn't start practicing until late during the middle of camp, but Jonathan Harrison has shown me to be an effective center. He's played in this league a number of years, Jets, Colts, you know, and, and he's gotten it done. He's started in this league. Would you consider, if the Giants can't settle that one guard position, would you move Gates over to guard and put Harrison at center and say, these are my best five guys, even if I've got to move Gates out of center, which I know they don't want to do. Would you do it? I would rather consider putting Harrison at guard. I don't want to move Nick Gates, Paul. I don't want to move Nick Gates either. Yeah, so why not consider Harrison at guard then? I think Harrison's a better center than he is a guard. 
And I think that, that Gates, I always said all along, I thought he would be a terrific NFL guard. He surprised me at how good and how well he has played at center. Because Harrison can play both positions, and we've seen that throughout his career. I, I think understand he's, a better he's center, mainly gone and work at center in terms of his starting experience. So I'll give you that. But if you do want to get the best five out there, I get it. Gates has previous experience at guard. I mean, hell, Nick Gates could play all five positions. He's got that much versatility. It's just I look at continuity, Paul, and this is why I'm hesitant. And it's about Gates and Daniel Jones being on the same page and Good building point. them up together. Good point. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to go from guys that are, you know, establishing themselves in terms of the snap. Now you're moving him to guard, and now he's got to establish that with Harrison. I think even though you're maybe getting your top five guys out, you're sacrificing continuity as a result of that. And it may be only for the short term. I don't think it's worth it. Sold. You, you, you got me. Sold. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But, no, it's a but, fair question, but, and but it's I'll tell worthy you of discussing. Here's what's weird, though. In all the machinations that the Giants have tried during training camp, Harrison's been playing backup center. He yeah. hasn't been working at guard. Well, that's why I was going to throw out. Which kind of eliminates that possibility, sure. doesn't it? No, I agree with you there. That's why I would think if you're going to bring in a veteran, I would think Ted Larson or Kenny Wiggins would get the edge if you'd want to go in that direction. No, I think I think Harrison's a better player today than. Well, both I of don't those disagree players. with you, but what I'm saying is, if you weren't sold on Shane Lemieux, to your point, being 100 percent, and maybe he needs another week or whatever, if we were to speculate on who would be the next man up with keeping Nick Gates at center, I would think they would go to Wiggins or Ted Larson under those circumstances. Oh, I I don't think there's any doubt that Wiggins right now has been the next man up during training camp. Yeah. I'm saying to you, I'm not so sure that he's better than Harrison. Harrison, unfortunately, during camp, has basically only been playing center. I like Harrison. I, I'd be willing to try him at guard. I'm, I'm surprised they haven't. Really, seriously. They've used Slade at tackle and guard during training camp. They've used Wiggins at, at guard during camp. They've used Larson at uh, guard and at center during camp. They don't seem to want to move Harrison around. They seem to want to make him the second-string center and just leave him there. And my question is, isn't Harrison maybe one of your best five guys, and shouldn't he maybe have gotten a look at guard last night? It's a valid point. We're talking about another established veteran who's been in the league since 2014. He was a starter for the Jets in 2019. It's not like the last time this guy started was seven years ago, so... I would agree with you there. Maybe this is why the Giants could benefit from having this two-week period. I would start considering maybe giving him some practice reps at guard, depending on what you've seen over the course of the preseason games, and maybe exploring that. Here's another idea I want to throw out, and I'd be a little bit worried about chemistry and continuity. If Shane Lemieux is not ready to go, would you then consider, let me throw out another one since we're really going deep today, would you consider pushing Will Hernandez back to left guard and then opening up the door at right guard, considering there hasn't been as much chemistry built on the right side as there's been with Will and Andrew Thomas on the left side. All possibilities, Lance. You know, I throw this at you, too. Nick Gates has taken some snaps at guard during the course of training camp. I've seen it. They've done that, which means they might be more apt to move him out of the center spot more apt to do so than either you or I would prefer. Yeah, it's possible. Once again, I'm hesitant for the reason I mentioned earlier. I, and I agree, but I'm just telling you, he's taken some snaps at guard during camp. I've seen it. Well, and I would have confidence. Listen, Nick Gates has started elsewhere on this team in years past, so it's not like we haven't seen Nick Gates in another spot before. We've seen him at tackle, yeah. okay? We've seen him at guard. I have full confidence that he could play that. It's just... Once again, if we're talking about Daniel Jones, year three, and we need to see this and we need to see that, now all of a sudden you want him to operate with multiple centers? I just, I don't love that idea. Yeah, well, they've, That's got, what two makes weeks. Me they've got two weeks to sort it out because they need to make sure that they've got their best five on the field against the Broncos. Whoever they think their best five are, those better be the guys who start opening day. 
especially against a very powerful defensive front and a solid secondary for the Denver Broncos. Don't miss out on the return of New York Giants football. The 2021 season is now underway, but there is still time to secure your season tickets and root on your Giants here at MetLife Stadium. Speak with a Giants ticket representative now and become a season ticket member by calling 888-NYG-1925. Also, Giants fans, take in all the action of New York Giants football from your very own private suite. Giants suites are a great way to entertain the family and friends while rooting on your Giants here at MetLife Stadium. Speak with a Giants suite representative now by calling 888-NYG-1925. And on September 26th, you can watch the Giants retire Eli Manning's jersey in style. We are offering an exclusive suite package, which includes Eli bobbleheads, jerseys, T-shirts, and more. Speak with a Giants suite representative now by calling 888-NYG-1925. For that, you should select option number four. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here. Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We're recapping the Giants' final preseason game against the Patriots, going over the offensive line, Daniel Jones's performance. A little bit later on, we'll get into some of the other positions as well as on the defensive side of the ball. But in the meantime, we want to open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513. Doug is in Rochester. He gets us going here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Doug? Hey, Lance. Hey, um, Paul. Good to hear from you guys. Um, Hi. I want to talk a couple things. Um, before this season started, I wanted Daniel Jones, two things with Daniel Jones. I wanted him, I seen one yesterday. Well, actually, I, I didn't get the game. I was listening on the radio to Chris and, um, and um, Sean O'Hare. Okay, so, but I seen clips. I seen him rolling out the pocket when the rush comes. That's one thing I wanted him to do, to be able to slide out the pocket. And I seen some of that yesterday. Number two is decision-making. Now, for him to become a complete quarterback, to me, he has to do those two things. And it doesn't matter if he didn't have Barkley, uh, uh, Kenny Galladay, or if he didn't have Rudolph and number 23. If he doesn't have the smarts on the field, the decision-making, it makes no difference to those guys on the field. Because when they get on the field, if they, if they ever do, he has to have that decision which one to go to and Everybody talks about Daniel Jones is smart. He needs to bring that book smart onto the football field. If he, he needs to advance down the field. Once he has those two down, he, he can become a top-five quarterback to me because he's got the athleticism. He's got the arm. He can throw the football. It's his decision-making, like in the end zone, the interception. You know, I understand, Paul, and um, um, Jeff, I'm John. Uh, you have. They'll you try have again. That's strike game. two. It's Lance, but it's okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> you named everybody Lance, else that Lance. works on this show except me. But keep going. Yes. Yeah, Lance, Lance. I'm sorry, Lance. But these are preseason games, okay? As the Giants said, you see an offense that had trouble scoring last year, and then they get on the field, and and they get the first two sacks, and, they, and they're doing the same thing like they were doing last year. You have to understand from a fan point of view. It looks like the same thing, you know, all over television. Here we go with the Giants again. Daniel Jones on the same as last year. I mean, that's it's a preseason game. I give, I give him the benefit of the doubt with that. But, I mean, and then the offensive line, Andrew Thomas, one thing I can say about Thomas, though, he realized his mistakes. But he, did, he got beat before Daniel Jones I can't even roll out the pocket. And Sean Harry even said, made a big point. A second straight guy, he got he just got beat one on one, a five step, three step back. He cannot do that. I mean, this is a, it's not about double team and stunts. He got beat on a three and a five step drop. So I mean, that's uh, that's totally different. And he and he he I would say he has to get some hands up. He's got to get them feet planted. And he, he I'll tell you what, guys, the Denver Broncos and the Washington Redskins defensive line is arguably two of the best. Uh, our top five defensive lines in the NFL. If they, they get the offensive line together, they got two weeks. Or Daddy Jones could get hurt back there. Doug, two yeah. things for you. First of all, I believe NFL Network will replay the game today at 3 p.m. Eastern time. So if you no, didn't want to see no, it. No, no the, the Browns game uh, did the same thing. I don't know if we're up in Rochester. Um, the, Jets, uh, the Jets game came on. Okay, but I call NFL Network, I, I, well, I call Spectrum, what's going on with the Giants game? I didn't see the Cleveland Browns game when they replayed it. I did not see the Browns game. And the Patriots game was supposed to come on at 6 o'clock, and, and it didn't come on. 
So I don't know what's going on with, with the NFL Network up in this area with the Giants. Very I mean, I interesting. Live in the state of New York. Yeah, I don't understand that. Well, I tell you what. Do try to tune in at three o'clock this afternoon and see if the Giants replay is on. That's when it's scheduled to be on. I hope in your area that your affiliate does pick up the game so you get a chance to watch it. Uh, in the meantime, no, as far yeah. as as far yeah. as Daniel Jones, let me throw this out to you. And I and I, and I don't want to get too far into his head here, but Lance, you may or may not agree. It's a preseason game. It's the only quarter he's got to play. Maybe in that case, he's literally just trying to make a play, throwing it, taking a risk, thinking to himself, "What the heck? It doesn't matter anyway. I'll just see what happens." As opposed to, would he have made that throw during a regular season game? My suspicion is he would not have done so. But I can't tell you that for sure because nobody asked him that. It's possible, Paul. I don't think that's crazy. I don't think that's a stretch. My only counter to that would be if I'm a player, you want to practice good habits even if the game is meaningless. I concur with you. I'd rather he didn't do it. Yeah, Yeah, I'd rather he didn't do it. I'd rather he just throw that ball away. Because like anything else, it's routine in life, right? You know, whether you host a show – you build a routine. So even if you're saying to yourself, oh, don't worry, if it's a regular season game, I wouldn't do this. But then you may have the urge, okay, we got to score. It's third and goal. We only have one more shot. You know, I'd be a little bit nervous if that was his thinking. And I understand I, I, you're speculating. I'm not saying yeah. that that was definitely his thinking. But my counter to Daniel, if he was thinking that way, I would say you got to be careful because you do want to build good habits. I, I agree. Well, and well, I'd rather he well, didn't do well. it either. Yeah, go ahead. Well, guys, if you listen to Daniel's press conference, he said, I got to make a better throw in that situation. So he wasn't thinking about what you're talking about, Paul. He was thinking about throwing the football. He just said, he said he's got to make a better throw. No, no, Doug, Doug, yeah, I was down in the press conference and I listened to him and I know what he said. He said it wasn't a smart play and he he shouldn't have done it. You're absolutely correct. But that was an answer to the play itself. I would I I did not get a chance to talk to Daniel, but I would love to have said to him, had this been a regular season game, would you have thought differently? I don't know that he would have. It may have just been an instinctual play that he shouldn't have made. Maybe. But I would like to I would like to have asked him because remember, this is a guy who's been like a caged lion. All he's done is have practices against his own team, some joint practices, and this was finally a chance to get into a game. Some guys, some guys yeah, get very excited when they just have that chance, and he knew he was only going to play a half. I don't know. I'm just thinking it's possible he was a little overexcited and got a little overanxious. That's all I'm saying. Well, and I appreciate the phone call, Doug. Thanks so much for weighing in as we move nice, along Doug. here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Lance Metal, Paul Dettino with you, recapping the Giants' 22-20 to loss to the Patriots in the preseason finale. Let's head back to the line. Steve is in New York joining us on BBKL. What's happening, Steve? Hey, guys. How are you today? Hi. All right. What do you got for us? So, you know, while we're talking about the offensive line play and all that, you know, I can't help but to think about Jason Garrett's play call. Uh, I mean, I, first off, I like Jason Garrett. I'm not I'm not a disliker of him. But it's to the sticks and turnaround. It's all these curl routes all the time. Unless it's third down or more. And I just was hoping that this year I might see something different, like a mix between how Shermer was playing them and how he was calling the offense last year. Because to me, we're doing him a disservice if we're not using him to all of his strength. And when we saw him, you know, running the wildcat type uh, offense, he seemed to be a little bit more efficient, less predictable. The play calling was less predictable. And I just feel like maybe. I'm hoping that when Kenny Galladay gets back and Darius Tony, Saquon, I mean, these are huge pieces, not little ones. I'm hoping that Jason Garrett opens up his offense a little bit more. Because last night, all I saw was a repeat of last year. And last year's offense is just too predictable, in my opinion. I, mean, I would counter that. On I would counter he opened up too much. Third and one from the Patriots' one-yard line. And Daniel Jones is rolling out to the right and gets picked off in the end zone. Third and one from the one. I don't care that Booker got stopped for no gain on second and goal from the one. I'm telling my offensive line, hey, fellas, you guys might be starting against Denver in two weeks. Can you show me that you're going to punch somebody in the nose and muscle that ball in from the one? 
if you really want to know what I think, that's what I think. I would have told that offensive line, this is a challenge to you fellas. They just stopped you for no gain on second and goal from the one. How about you punch that ball in? That's what I would have done. I'm, and I would agree with what you just said. You know, you're talking about red zone where it's a little bit more tighter. And, and I think that's another plot problem. You know, maybe in the red zone, maybe we can help Daniel down there by trying to punch the ball in and letting everyone else play to their strength. But I'm talking about in the middle of the field when you're, all you're doing is calling curl routes, stick routes, and the 10-yards turnaround. That's why Andrew Ingram got jumped so much last year on his route because everyone knew he was going to go 10 yards, turn around, and the ball's going to well, Steve, I think part of that is, and I think if you watch closely last night with the offensive line having trouble early, if you notice, they were getting rid of the football very quickly after that. So, you know, that goes back to you have to accommodate the offense to your personnel. And also last season, same thing. You also mentioned, I think you answered your own question, if you don't have Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Toney out there and Saquon Barkley, Kyle you're removing Rudolph. three of your most notable weapons who could really truly open up your offense. So you're not going to maybe put guys in that position if they can't assume those roles. So I think you know you had a lot of things working simultaneously as to why maybe you didn't really see the opening up of the playbook. And then even though Paul mentioned you know maybe they took some risks in the red zone, I think at the end of the day, the Giants don't want to showcase everything because they understand that they can maybe benefit from the game of the unknown entering the first few weeks of the season. So you also need to walk that fine line. That's why I wouldn't read overly into everything you saw from an offensive standpoint. They also did, Jason Garrett ran a few end-arounds and reverses, and I know he showed that last season, but, you know, that's some creativity and misdirection, and it worked because I believe it was Sterling Shepard or one of the other guys, if I have correct, who picked up seven yards on that reversal. So, you know, you could make things happen even from small, subtle things like that. Absolutely, and I'm not, like I said, I like Jason Garrett. I just... And you're right. With the pieces that are missing, you guys think maybe when we get those pieces back, because they are huge pieces, do you think maybe we'll see a different type of an offense instead of uh, maybe a little bit more creativity with pre-snap pre Well, Steve, put it, put it this way. We know that, that Galladay has a unique skill set that none of the other receivers have. We know that Rudolph has a different skill set that Evan Ingram has. So I think it is extremely fair, and we certainly know Barkley has has a superhuman skill set that and very Tony few as people well have, is and Tony too. Yeah. So we're talking about huge, huge weapons that have skill sets that that you know just don't come around every day. You would like to believe that they got these guys on the roster, and they're going to use those things. And we he's going. like we have lost Steve on that note. I mean, that's it's only logical, isn't it? To the end of that phone call, I think right, that's right, an indication Lance? we need to move on. Right, but I as mean, you it, just you know, laid it's out, only logical. Yeah, in all seriousness, you know, when the last caller was talking about pre-snap motion and all of these other things, as I mentioned, there were some reverses and end-arounds yesterday. That's number one. But a guy like Tony, for example, considering Paul, he has the ability to throw the ball. You could use him out of the backfield. He can also serve as a conventional wide receiver. When he's on the field, you could get a little bit more creative versus some of the other personnel. So I think that's another thing that you have to take into consideration as to what Jason Garrett's going to show when he doesn't have guys that have that skill set. Why would you put them in that position? Then you're just trying to get be creative for the sake of being creative, and it's not necessarily teaching any of the guys on the field anything. And let's not forget, when we're talking about you know grading offensive play selection, this is the preseason, for goodness sakes. We all keep saying how many times during the course of the summer, the preseason's vanilla. You can't really tell anything about the playbook during the preseason. But, but my point about just telling your starting offensive line, if that's who your starters are going to be, to smash the ball in from the one, you know, I, I don't think that's much of a stretch. I think that's a pretty legit point, but we didn't see that. Yeah, no, and I agree with you, Paul. I think that's a fair point to say, hey, it's the preseason. Let's gain some rhythm, some confidence. Maybe we're going to be in a situation, right, where it's third and goal on the one in the regular season. Why not give your line another opportunity? That's fair. 
I get that. But here's another thing that I wanted to throw out as a counter, actually, when you brought that up in the midst of the conversation. I wonder, because you were speculating about Daniel Jones's mindset, I want to go into Jason Garrett and Joe Judge's mindset. How much do you think they were saying to themselves, we'd like Daniel Jones to get X amount of pass attempts in this game, considering he didn't play in any of the other preseason games. And if we have an opportunity, even in the red zone, we want to see what his decision-making would be like. So therefore, we're going to put him in that position. You cannot discount anything along those lines. Yeah, and that's because, really that's the problem because there are so many possibilities and unanswered questions. You just don't know what the intent is. Sure. And there may be a different intent than the one that obviously rears itself as you're watching the play. Let's head back to the phone lines. Coach Marvin's in Delaware. What's happening, Coach Marvin? Coach, Coach. going once. Coach going twice. We lost him. Apparently. Three strikes in your eye. All right, let's try Stas in Washington. Stas, what's happening? Hello. Hey, what's up, guys? How are you? Hi. We're doing all right. Can you hear me? Yes, yes we hear you loud and clear. Hey, so thanks for t- uh, taking my call. Um, so real quick, I- I've just been, you know, I watched the game yesterday, and, you know, I follow what's going on in the national media, and DJ's just getting killed out there. And I- I'm sorry, I- I'm not a-, a big Daniel Jones fan to begin with, but I don't think he played bad at all. Like, if I just look at it from an unbiased perspective, he went 17 for 22 and, what, 135 yards? It's a pretty good half of football, considering he could have easily been 19 of 22. There were two third-and-long situations where he drilled his receivers right in the hands of the numbers, and they just let him down. And he just didn't come up with the ball. One to Slayton, I believe. Yes. And um, actually, we, and, and, like, and that could have kept drives alive. The only thing you could you could listen that interception in the in the red zone is a bonehead decision. You can't have them because interceptions in the in the red zone are the worst, right? Like you're not even coming away with three. I get it, but when I really look at it, I'm more concerned with how Andrew Thomas got beat up all game than I am about how Daniel Jones played. When I look at the game, and then when I look at our defense, I'm not concerned at all because they held the starting the Patriots starting um, offense to six points and a half. Which I is think pretty you're good. right. You I think go- you make a very logical point, and I appreciate the perspective. Was, was Pet did Pettis have the other drop, Lance? Yeah, I, I think, think Pettis Pettis. did have the other drop. I have to go back and watch the film. Off the top of my head, it sounds vaguely familiar. I know Slayton did the play for Slayton. I definitely remember. Yeah, I'm not and that's sure though. So if, unlike Slayton too. Yeah. It was almost like he was surprised that the ball to... was sort of coming to but him. You, but season. you make a great point, yeah. caller, because Daniel Jones actually had a pretty darn good game last night. He made one terrible decision on the touchdown pass or the interception, which was he wanted it to be a touchdown pass, and you can't excuse it and ignore it. Again, I was the first one to say right away, he's got to throw that ball away or run it out of bounds. You can't throw that pass. I get that. But you're correct. Look at the efficiency. He, he played well. Mm-hmm. And I didn't look at – I haven't got a chance to look at the 22 because I'm a nerd that way too. I buy the pass and I watch the 22 film when it comes out every time. But from what I could see just from the national broadcast, it looked like most of the short routes were being sat on and they were man up – they were going man up on, on our receivers. And when, and when that happens, it, it, it makes for a better blitz. It makes for an easier blitz if a linebacker sees a gap, Right. If you had your starters in there, someone's going to have to get doubled, right? Because if you had your Galladay and you had your Rudolph and you had your Saquon Barkley out on that field as well, and you had a Kadarius Tony, you know, it, it, it also negates the rush when you have to uh, have your de- defense play to the strengths of those, person, th- those personnel. On top of that, in the red zone, we probably would have seen a fade route if we had Galladay in there. You would, you would assume a fade route would have came somewhere because – it would have been, and those are safe plays, right? Because those are either going to get caught by the receiver or they're going to go out of bounds um, because you would have had that body. I, and I don't think they're going to tip their hand in preseason. Why, why are they going to give their playbook? This is very vanilla, and I think everyone just needs to take a deep breath and calm down. I agree with you, Thank you so much for the call. Yeah, appreciate the phone Thank call. Thank you.
We've always said teams have gone undefeated in the preseason. It's meant nothing. And then teams have struggled in the preseason and have done well. So once again, there's only so much you could take away. It's all about, to me, the individuals as opposed to the team production. The one thing I will say about the turnover in the red zone is it goes back to good habits, good decision making. You want to see that carry along. That's number one. And number two, regardless of even if the big weapons are on the field at that time, and I understand where the caller's coming from, maybe they don't run that play, anything's possible. The bottom line is this Giants team can't afford to have mistakes like that, specifically in the red zone, and walk away with no points because we saw that last season. We saw how much that hurt this team. So I mean, that's just a generic trend that we're talking about that you do not want to see carry over into this season. Agreed. Let's head back to the phone lines, and we check now in. It looks like we got Coach Marvin back on the line. What's oh, happening, great. Coach Marvin? Hey, Lance and Paul. Can y'all hear me now? Yeah. Hi. We hear you yes, we do. Oh, okay. That's good. Hey, um, I just called in to let you know. Uh, yeah, I watched it, and um, I think uh, Daniel didn't do too bad. I mean, he had a few issues here and there, but uh, this is he only, he only played one half this whole se- um, preseason, so I'm going to excuse that. And I go back to the red zone interception. Um, if you really take a good look at it, it it wasn't really a bad decision because if you see, he had Ingram uh, in the end zone. He missed him is what happened. It wasn't a bad decision. It just ended up turning into a bad throw. You know what, Coach? I just think the way he had to contort his body while he was on the move to make that throw, it to me it becomes a bad decision because physically that's a Mahomes throw. There aren't a lot of guys in the league who can do that throw with a high degree of accuracy given the way that his body was moving. Yeah, yeah, he he threw it. Yeah, his feet wasn't set. He didn't he didn't turn his hips in the right direction, and the he actually missed the throw. It wasn't a bad decision. He missed the throw. Um, And the other one, you know, everything's been vanilla. They haven't really shown anything. Um, But I did see someone that really I I like what I was seeing, and that was in Love. I thought Love had a good game uh, yesterday. And enjoy the way he played in the second. He's had a good preseason overall. Yeah, he has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good practices too. Yeah, yeah. I've been looking for somebody to wow me a little bit. Everything's been vanilla. No one's really stood out, uh, uh, but Love did stand out a little bit. Uh, The kid uh, Sells, I think his name, the wide receiver, David Sills. Um, Yeah, yeah. David Sills. He's he's played well um, pretty much all the preseason. So that been pretty good but uh for the most part you see they don't have all of their um players playing so it's hard to get a read on how they're going to do uh i mean i came in this morning to the gym and i had uh, a couple of people telling me how bad the giants looked yesterday and i was like uh it's preseason man there's like this zero zero um record and everybody's just trying to get better and sometimes for me as a coach, I would set up those games for us to play left-handed. I want to see if my players can handle them playing left-handed without me helping them um, during preseason games. And then once I get to that last game or so, then I want to see how they do if I give them a somewhat of a game plan. So a lot of times I'm trying to get a read of how they play one-on-one. Um, can they handle um, blocking someone one-on-one? without me giving them angles or moving the line in certain directions. And, and once I get down to the last preseason game or scrimmage I'm playing, then what I'm going to do is try to get my plays running where we can get a rhythm before the season starts. So I'm not too concerned. And um, I, I, I think I'm, I'm just going to see what they do in the next two weeks. We have two weeks to get ready. And I'm hoping they come up with a, a plan, what they want to do. I would like to see them get more creative. They can't do it. Lance was right. Everybody's not there. Tony's not there. Mm-hmm. So you can't bring those plays out right now <clears throat> and see if they would work. But you, I you know what else, Coach? You know creative. what else? And, and I, think, I think you're the appropriate person to mention this to because you'll understand this. Kyle Rudolph is a very good blocking tight end. He has been unavailable right. to this point, and from what it looks like, the way he's been doing the 11-on-11s over the last several days, it does look like things are pointing towards him being available opening day. Well, when you have Kyle Rudolph on the edge of that line because he is an in-line tight end who blocks a lot, 
that right. will help out that offensive line some on the edges. That's 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 true, Paul. And and you, you do need that little help here and there, um, and because now you you're able to move guys around and get them on angles. Because sometimes you got, the game is actually played in angles. You tackle, and if you can get good angles on people, <clears throat> you can make plays. And the same thing when blocking schemes, what we would use. Um, I mean, I, I was studied back as far as the old days. It go back to the wing T when I was up in Massachusetts. It was so cold we had to run the ball. I would I would study the wing T on those blocking schemes, and the wing T was basically on angles. How right. we would block on angles. You may have guys bigger than your offensive defensive lineman may be bigger than the offensive lineman, but the way the wing T was set up, you would block down, and right. that would give them the angle on them on those players, which generate holes for us instantly. And um, so, you know, a lot of times the tight ends help in those situations. And I, I, I think I think that's, that will help us. Um, and I did like the way uh, – I think it was Smith played tight end yesterday, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, Correct. Yep. Yeah, he and caught, he caught touchdown. a touchdown yeah. pass, which he, he, is really nice. That same, that same pass was beautiful uh, yesterday. That they, for Isn't the that funny? That Nobody wanted to talk about that touchdown pass until you brought that up at the end of the show. Because it, negative it always sells, pass. right, Coach? <laughs> yeah, it was a beautiful pass. It's well, a gorgeous pass. He got down that scene, um, and uh, the pass was on the money. And uh, those are the things I would like to see to open up those outside receivers once the season starts. And I think we can get those tight ends in those scenes, people like Ingram, get them up in those scenes. And um, I, I think we'll see a lot more production and be more creative with the talent that we have. I was watching San Francisco um, – yesterday and how um uh, they are working with the talent that they have i think they they actually was playing with two quarterbacks at one time in that game yeah well and i mean kyle shanahan so also has that track record coach marvin so right. i mean of all the teams yes, he, he uses an example you're really using the pinnacle of the nfl <laughs> right now he maximizes yeah. the 53 man <laughs> roster more so than anybody else so i would yeah, never be surprised you're, you're and listen we're gonna let you go on that note because we want to try to squeeze right, in a guys. few more calls thanks coach so, appreciate you yeah. weighing in here but yeah kyle shanahan the fullbacks he utilizes the tight ends the running backs the receivers I mean, they have just had a track record of doing that year in and year out. So I wouldn't necessarily use that as the poster child of what every other team should follow, considering many teams have trouble even slowing down the San Francisco 49ers. Let's uh, head back to the phone line. Dallas is in New York joining us right now. What's happening, Dallas? Hey, what's up, guys? How you doing? Hi. Doing right. What do you got for us? Good. So, you know, I was on board yesterday, and it just he just took me back to the Daniel Jones of old. Um and we always go to the line and, and drops and everything. But um, when he first came out, he was throwing bombs, threw for almost over, over 3,000 yards, 24 TDs. And then the league kind of caught up to him, and so did the coaches. Um, and then he started getting sacked, throwing an interception, dropping the ball on the floor. So I'm looking at it from maybe it's not so much his skill set as much as it is his head. Because we get down to the one-yard line um, yesterday after he – he played a pretty good game yesterday. And when the pressure was on, boom, he throws a basic quarterback one-on-one, no-no throw. And he does this. These, it's not so much his skill set. It's the fact that he won't throw the ball out of bounds. He won't take a sack. And he did that yesterday. He, he curled up and didn't throw um, what he ended up throwing later on in the game on the one-yard line. Um, and I think it's more so. I think, I think his squash is screwed up. And I don't think anybody's really talking about this. And I think he's created a lot of habits for himself now um, that he uses when he panics. And I don't see it getting better. I thought it was getting better yesterday, but he pulled it again on the one-yard line yesterday. And, yes, that was a beautiful throw yesterday, but it was against the second team. And I don't want to keep laying on him, but I think they, I'm wondering if his head is ever going to get together and he's going to stop doing um, these bonehead panic moves. As for the drops, and you said it a few minutes ago. I don't know which one of you said it. Um, he threw to Slayton, and Slayton looked like he was surprised the ball was coming to him. But that's the same case with a lot of the drops. Um, he did, and that was Shepard with the second drop. And he did the same thing. So I'm thinking he's panicking there, too, and throwing to the wrong receiver, the receiver who wasn't supposed to get the ball within the call play. So 
I think it's more so his head. Well, first of all, Dallas, let me jump in here. Even if that receiver is not the first target, to say that a wide receiver should never anticipate that the quarterback may be looking their way, that would be on the player. I mean, you could always be a target on any given play depending on the read that the quarterback has. I absolutely agree with you, but it does not negate the fact that Darius Slayton looked completely surprised, and yes, he should have caught the ball. Um, Absolutely. As a receiver, you're supposed to be waiting for that call, but apparently that hasn't been addressed yet either. But the point I'm making is Daniel Jones' head needs to be dealt with because he's doing the same thing repeatedly, which is a mark of insanity, so for three years now. And, and I look, every time I get behind this guy, uh, last year I was behind him. They, they brought the, the offense down so he could manage the ball, manage the, manage the team, and he kept screwing up towards the end then too with the same mistakes. It's not new stuff. It's the same thing over and over again. When do we address that? When do we even acknowledge it and stop blaming the rest of the team, which is getting better? Um, the offensive line that he was throwing behind when he, when he came out the first year was worse than the line he has now, even now. And he did well. But now he's making these bonehead mistakes, right. and it's not even his fault. I want to make it's sure that we were watching the him. same games because over the last six games of last year, his last six starts – he threw one interception, and it was Evan Ingram who had the ball go off his hands and was picked off by Dallas in the regular season finale. And Daniel Jones's previous five starts of the season, he had no interceptions. But you're telling me that he's got this bad habit. I'm, I'm, I'm really having trouble understanding. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not telling you anything. What I'm doing is I'm throwing something up that's obvious, and I'm belaboring it. And I agree with you. I just said to you a few seconds ago, I get on board with this guy, and I was on board with him after being vehemently against him being there. <laughs> I got on board. And, and, and then he, he, like you said, the first six games, he was, he was managing the game, and then he just fell apart and started panicking, and then he got injured. But then we brought him back in, and we sat, we, we sat the quarterback down who was winning the, the big games against um, Seattle, and I forgot the other, whoever else he beat. And then they started losing again. He went right back to the same mistake. So well, McCoy was 1-1. One one. One. He beat yeah. Seattle. They played Daniel Jones against Arizona on a gimpy ankle, and he did not play well. He should not have played. I think everybody, that including Joe with. Judge, that would agree, agree with that. And then, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Right? And then McCoy played right. against Cleveland, and that just did not go well at all. But the, the well, you know, the, well, the momentum was broken. We keep putting them in there. All I'm saying is, you know, listen, I gotta swallow it. He's he's gonna be here, okay? Period. He's that is true. Well, no matter what Absolutely. you or I say, he's starting no against the Broncos. <laughs> exactly, and, and he's going up against the Broncos. He went up against. He did pretty good against the first team um, with with Belichick. And when Belichick turned on Belichick's crap, he threw that interception. And now he's going up against Von Miller, who you were talking about a case, a case of horse or something you said earlier. Von Miller is the ultimate cage tiger, okay? And he's coming in in his first game. Man, if this guy does not – if they don't get his head together um, – I'm not even talking about the rest of the year. If they don't get his head together for this Denver game coming up, oh, my God. Dallas, I'll tell you horrible. what, to, to be frank with you, I think it's incumbent upon Jason Garrett to make sure that the Giants run the ball at least 35 times against the Broncos opening day. I don't think you want Daniel Jones dropping back 40 times in no, that game. Exactly. Well, I don't think you want exactly. him throwing it 40 times in any game. I'm, I'm with you, Lance, exactly. but especially yeah. in that first game. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And yeah. Dallas, appreciate the yeah. phone call. Thanks so much Thank for you. weighing Man, in here. they got to run the ball. Good talking with you guys. Bye. All, right, All right, you too. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody's disagreeing that the quarterback's decision-making is a big part of the outlook for this Giants offense. It goes without saying that Daniel Jones' decision-making needs to be on point. It needs to be consistent. That's what it needs to be. But to also not acknowledge the fact that he did make improvement last year in terms of ball security. Okay, that's how I would classify it in the second half of the season would also be naive and ignoring the facts. And then the other thing that I wanted to bring up, the caller was referencing what he did as a rookie. Remember, he was in a completely different offensive scheme, Paul, with a different coordinator. Correct. Okay, so what Pat Shermer was running is much different than what Jason Garrett is now asking him to do. So that can't be 
overlooked. And that's not to say that Jason Garrett's bringing Daniel Jones down. That's not what I'm indicating. But when you look at what a guy did as a rookie and you say, well, why didn't that happen again? Well, he had to learn a completely new offense. So now this is year two in the offense. Now the personnel around him is changing. There's been a lot of movable parts in the early stages of Daniel Jones's career. And if you look at any other quarterback, seasoned veteran or rookie, when they've done the same things to those quarterbacks, it hasn't necessarily been smooth sailing. It's been some choppy waters that they've had to navigate. So I don't think it's stunning that we've seen some ups and downs with Daniel Jones because he hasn't necessarily had stability around him since he entered the league three years ago. Final thought about yesterday's game and Daniel Jones. It doesn't matter if that was the first string, second string, third string, or Hall of Fame defense. The touchdown pass that he threw, it doesn't matter who the defender was. That ball was thrown in a perfect spot. Yeah. Irrelevant of who was defending the play. The ball was in a perfect spot where only his guy could catch it, and Caden Smith came down and made the play. If you want to judge the play or grade the play by the opponent, well, then you're going to have to grade the opponent guarding Caden Smith because the throw is made irrelevant of who is defending the play. Ball placement was ideal. And Couldn't do it any better. Yeah. Caden Smith then also completed it on the opposite end by going up and making a play for his quarterback. And one last thing, speaking of great plays, Blake Martinez's interception somewhat similar. I mean, that's one of those extra effort great plays, right? Tell me he that that up. didn't remind you a little bit of Chase Blackburn in the Super Bowl against Gronk. Just a yeah, little. A little bit. I, I would say Blake did a little bit more heavy lifting in terms of he ripping did. the ball away. He did. Yeah, whereas, you know, that was underthrown by Brady. So, you know, Chase was in the perfect position to make the play, not to take anything away from Chase. Listen, Chase was extremely valuable for that season. I'd be the first one to be emphasizing that. But Blake had to go out with an all-out war with the receiver to make sure that he got that football. He sure did. And it was in a position where he's not known to have previous success in coverage, which was also extremely impressive when you take that into consideration. And it wasn't a tight end. It was a wide receiver of all guys. So Correct. that play at least deserves a mention on this program before we wrap things up. With that being said, that's going to do it for us on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We're back up and running this entire week at 11 a.m. Eastern. Important to note as we will start to look ahead to the 53-man roster tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern. And then, of course, heading towards the Denver Broncos in week number one. Paul, enjoyed the conversation. Look to do it again shortly. You got it, Lance. All right, that's going to wrap things up for us once again. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Monday and stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. Have a good one.